Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard KB5JBV, and I'm here to present, to offer, and to give you folks uh, what's something you probably don't want to hear anyway. However, I'm sitting back here in the back room of Chinese Laundry near 14th and Badgerton, and we're right down the street from the statue of Saint, uh, what's his name, Saint Maximus of Constantinople. You know him because he's big brass statue downtown, got the bird badger all over him. Let me introduce to you, now I ain't going to introduce Russ, I'm going to introduce the special guest star of this particular episode, Bill, K-9-W-K-A. Say hello to everybody, Bill. Hello, everybody. This is K-9-W-K-A recording from the balmy west shores of Lake Michigan in northeast Illinois. Don't let him fool you, y'all. It's cold up there. All right. Now, now, Russ. Hello, Russ. Hello. Are you going to introduce me properly? Uh, from like Studio 2 in in the southwest corner of the intersection of the Ozarks Avenue and Tornado Alley? No, that's my bit. Oh. And my favorite, favorite partner in this particular enterprise, Russ, K5TUX. Well, hello, everybody. This is Russ, and as Richard's already said, I'm recording from Missouri tonight in Studio 2N on the southwest corner of the intersection of Ozarks Avenue and Tornado Alley. And I would like to, uh, again, welcome Bill, K9WKA, our uh, longtime friend, our show notes creator, and occasional contributor to the program. So good evening, Bill. Good evening, Russ. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here. That means that I can do one third less talking, and so can Richard. So, uh, off we go. What do we got on the What do we got on the docket this evening? Oh, are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. We have all kinds of stuff going on. We got like feedback and uh, donations and announcements and stuff. Let's do announcements. That's always fun. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Stuff is always good. Okay, please sign up for the mailing list. That was the first one. Now, the second one is, no, no, tell us about the mailing list, Russ. Yeah, I was wondering if you're just going to let it run over at that. But, no, the mailing lists are over at lists.bluecows.com. And I guess I could spell that phonetically, but I'm not going to because Bill's going to put it in the show notes. You bet. And over there, if you go to lists.bluecows.com, stroke mailman, stroke list info, you will find a link to the LHS podcast uh, mailing list, 
And I want to stress to everybody that this is a very, very low traffic mailing list. We only send out announcements, basically, like when we're going to be at events or when there's been a raffle winner or if there's some sort of an important bit of news about the show that we want everybody to know about. So you're not going to get spammed by this thing. You don't have to give us your crappy Gmail address that you never listen to or that you never check. You can give us a real email address and... You know, we're, we're not gonna sell it to anybody. We're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna overwhelm you with a bunch of crap email that you don't need. So if everybody who's listening to the sound of my voice could please go over to that address and click on that, uh, mailing list and sign up for it who listens to the show, we would be very, very grateful. So thank you everybody who signs up for that and We'll try and keep you just uh, abreast of everything that's going on and give you the most current information that we can. So if anybody has anything to add to that, feel free. But I'm done talking for uh, at least the next few seconds. Go on over to the mailing list for announcements, updates, and all kinds of stuff that will not get put in there. And it's okay to have a crappy Gmail address because I have one of those too. I have one of those uh, crappy Gmail. Oh, what the hell did I just do? I don't know what you just did because we don't have video. Damn, I keep I clicking on that link. Who the hell made that a link? Hang on. <laughs> okay, there we go. I had to put that S in there just so. Okay. Yeah. So the URL, by the way, is lists with an S dot bluecows dot com stroke mailman stroke list info. Go ahead and click on that. I think there's a link to it on the website. If there isn't, there will be soon. And, uh, Richard can go ahead and talk from here. Well, y'all know this wouldn't be Linux in the ham shack without Russ breaking some badger. So y'all go on over and check it out. Yeah, it looks fairly straightforward. I have seen mailing lists like this before. Pretty easy. Uh, check out the recipes while you're there. So as we move forward, well, the recipes are pretty cool. And by the way, if anybody's familiar with the mailman list manager, they'll know exactly how this thing works. And if you're not familiar with the mailman list manager and you actually want to run a list, a mailing list of some kind, you definitely want to check it out and check out the recipes, definitely. There might actually be something in there that's worth cooking up. You might even locate yourself some crustacean porn. Yeah, I don't think there's, right. been, a I don't think there's been one posted in about six years, but go ahead and sign up anyway. Well, there you have it. Next up, we got uh, MagnetCon. MagnetCon is coming. MagnetCon is coming. Be afraid. Be very afraid. MagnetCon is coming. What the hell is MagnetCon, Russ? I'm not sure. Why don't you tell everybody? I don't know. You mean we haven't pushed this thing enough where you know everything about it? Uh, it's St. Louis. Yeah, because that's what I wrote in the Etherpad. That's how I know. All right, the Magnet Conference is the Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference. It's going to be held from May 6th and 7th, uh, 2011, at the St. Louis Union Station Marriott in St. Louis, Missouri. I and Cheryl and a bunch of other people are organizing this conference, and we want to make it twice as big as Southeast Linux Fest and Ohio Linux Fest combined. So we need to get everybody to come to it. Go to magnetcon.info. That's Mike Alpha. Golf. <laughs> I see somebody typing it as I speak, so it's kind of throwing me off here. But it's Mike Alpha Golf November Echo Tango Charlie Oscar November dot info. 
Go ahead and check out the website. If you want to be a speaker, there's a speaker application. If you know anybody who wants to sponsor the show, there's a sponsor prospectus and application over there. Please check it out. Check out the scheduling and everything. And we will be allowing registration starting December 1st of this year. December 1st, 2010, you'll be able to sign up. So thanks to everybody who goes and checks that out. Please let everybody know about it. We want to have a huge conference in uh, St. Louis. And there will be a lot of extracurricular activities, and we've got a lot of special events planned. So for the little bit of money it's going to cost to get you into the show, and we're talking about 50 bucks or less, which should make it accessible to everybody, we are going to have one hell of an open-source conference. So check out MagnetCon.info, and we hope to see you there next May. And there you have it, MagnetCon. See, he expects me to remember all this stuff when I can barely remember my name most days. Uh, today I am Edward Badgerton. Edward Badgerhands? Ten. T-O-N. Badgerton. No, I like you Edward Badgerhands. You have to excuse me, my teeth keep a dropping down. My eye teeth keep a dropping down. I can't see what I'm doing. See what I'm saying? Your eye teeth are dropping in front of your eyes? What the hell's wrong with you? I, I don't know. See? This is all stuff you guys can imagine because that's the magic of radio. Okay, well, you can go ahead and talk, talk about the shopping link. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, right? Go buy our stuff. Boy, I did a good job there. You are, you are so awesome. I try. It doesn't really work out that way a lot, but I try. Y'all go on over and check, go over to the website and check out the uh, LHS podcast stuff. We got stuff, y'all. We got hatches and shirtses. And my personal favorite, we have badger wear. Badger wear. You be the first kid on your block to have a shirt that says, kiss my badger. And they will ask you what the hell is going on. And all you have to do is point right underneath the badger at the URL and say, go here and find out. Go on over and check it out. Uh, we're currently using Printfection and Cafe Press. Which one's got the badger wear? Printfection's got the badger wear. They even have shirts in my size. My size. Finding a shirt to fit, fit Russ is not a problem. However, finding one for me, whole different matter. So go on over to http www.printfection.com stroke LHS. Or alternately, go over to uh, www.cafepress.com LHS podcast. And check out our fine selection of outerwear Upper wear, lower wear. I don't think it, you know, I had people get on me about the, about the speedos over at resonant frequencies. So I don't think we have any of those, but y'all go over and check it out. In fact, I received my Linux in the ham shack hat today and will display it proudly, including the little 25% off purchase coupon that's attached to the bill. Y'all go over and check it out. Remember every penny that we make on it. And most of that price is not us, but every penny we make on it goes right back into general fund to make this show better for you, you the listener, because there's no more video. How was that, Russ? Oh, you have it exactly right. And uh, between the three of us, we all have some Linux in the ham shack wear. We, um, I've got hats. Richard got his hat today. And I know Bill bought his shirt quite a while ago because he was wearing it at the Dayton Hamvention. So... Thanks, Bill, for showing up in your Linux in the Hamshack shirt. Wear it off and wear it. Well, that's great. Do you actually wear it like out of doors so people can see you? 
Oh, God, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I thought, <laughs> thought we might get some free advertising, but I guess not. Well, I don't go anywhere, so, you know, it doesn't really matter. Oh, I see. Well, that's too bad. Well, uh, I stay in the house all time. Well, apparently if you get some of the badger wear, you're not going to wear that outside either. Oh, no. If I have a badger shirt, I will wear it everywhere. Well, I'm not talking about you. I think I think Bill's too reserved. Well, we'll work I'd on get it. confused for uh, Wisconsin fans, and they've got the badgers up there. Well, see, that actually works perfect. You could go up to Milwaukee and just wander around with that shirt on and just kind of... Uh, right what's that? And fit right in. Yeah, you'd fit right in. Just make sure you highlight the URL, um, and people will be confused when they go there, but at least we'll probably get one or two listeners out of it. <laughs> well, see, we're going to work on Bill because, you know, Russ was a wallflower when we started this, started this thing, and look at him now. I know I have become awesome. I am like Captain Super Podcaster. There he is. He he is the poster boy for self-promotion. Well, I try. I mean, there's not really much point to broadcasting if we don't have anybody listening to the show, now is there? That's right, because dude, we do this show to make ourselves feel important, so y'all let us know. Send us an email at, at www.selfimportantbadger.com. Did I say that while we're recording? Of course you did. I guess I did. Ruskin badger me or something. Anyway, selfimportantbadgers.com. All righty. So moving on to the next thing, uh, the LHS Your SIG campaign. The LHS Your SIG campaign. Uh, last time around, we read a read an email or talked about a, a post somewhere where a gentleman had put our website in the signature line of his post. And we've decided that that's a good idea. That's a great way to help us out. It doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't cost, more importantly, it doesn't cost us anything. Um, y'all go on out and, uh, or go over to you, your, uh, mail client or whatever you use to post to new news groups and everything else. And down in the signature, just below all your important stuff, go ahead and put in Linux in the ham shack and the uh, address for our website. The website is lhspodcast.info, lhspodcast.info. I found out today that lhsinfo dot whatever it was also works, but put it in your signature. Go out, and if you put it in yours and more people put it in theirs, we're going to get more and more people spreading the word. doesn't matter if they listen. They just need to put it in their signature file so that people that are interested in listening to what we might have to say will come on over and check it out. What do you think about that, Russ? I think I couldn't have said it any better than you did. And while you take a breath, I guess I'm going to move on to the next thing. I would like to commend uh, Mike Zero Tango Z Oscar, M0TZO, for basically putting Linux in the ham shack in every signature, on every forum, in every blog, on every Twitter account that he apparently has. We're getting at least a little bit of cross-promotion out of that, and I don't know if we're getting any listeners out of it, but I want to thank M0TZO for doing that. And I, and I also want to say that we seem to have some pretty loyal listeners over there in Great Britain, so I think that's kind of cool. What do you think? Because they are not afraid to post us, and uh, they're not mad at us because we don't talk about hedgehogs, we talk about badgers. i tell you what, we got a great group of listeners everywhere. 
and the guys in Great Britain, they really give they they really give us a great push. There's some other guys in another place I'll mention in another episode that do the same thing, but I don't want to uh, uh, have either group thinking that we're uh, mistaking them for each other. But M0TZO, we appreciate you getting this thing started. I think it's a great way for us to promote the show. Thank you so much. And I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about the one last announcement that we have, and that is that I drew yesterday, and, well, actually, Cheryl helped me out. Uh, between the two of us, we drew the Ohio Linux Fest 2010 raffle winners for the people who stopped by the, uh, the Linux in the Hamshack booth at Ohio Linux Fest. I want to once again thank everybody who did stop by and who talked to us uh, about Linux and amateur radio and everything else that they talked to us about at the show. And I want to announce those people who won prizes there. Our third prize was a Linux in the Hamshack ball cap, just like the one that Richard is now proudly wearing. And uh, since you can't see him, you don't know the fact that he's probably hidden in a drawer somewhere. But anyway, uh, we'd like to congratulate Dave S. That's Alpha Alpha 8 Alpha Alpha who won the Linux in the Hamshack baseball cap. That'll be on the way to you very shortly. Our second prize was a Linux in the Hamshack T-shirt. And we want to thank our good friend, Klaatu, who has uh, been a, a good friend and is an excellent podcaster. Go check out his podcast, The GNU World Order. And no, that wasn't rigged in any way. His name actually came out of the bag when we selected it, so he's going to be given a Linux in the Hamshack T-shirt. So congratulations on that. And our first prize was a hacked version of the Zipit Instant Messenger device. This is a device that normally doesn't do Badger, but with a little bit of effort, you can make it do some pretty cool stuff. And I had already hacked it. I had put on the Open Zipit firmware, and I had installed the Root Nexus user land, which is the operating system, which is basically a version of Debian. It has the XFCE desktop running on it. It's a small device, but it's fun. It's got Wi-Fi built in. It's running Debian with X Windows, so you can do with it pretty much anything you want under those limited guidelines. It contains an extra 2 gigabyte mini SD card, and uh, that's all set up with uh, an external power supply, and it's ready to go. And if you want to hack it to your own specifications, there's plenty of documentation out on the web on how to do that, but it'll work just like it is. And uh, Rain C, Rain uh, Romeo Alpha India November, that's apparently his name. Uh, I sent him an email today and got a confirmation back with a uh, with a mailing address, so we know he's a real person. So congratulations, Rain! You won the Zipit Grand Prize for the OLF drawing, and uh, hopefully we'll pick you up as a uh, as a listener. Uh, I don't believe you're actually a ham radio operator at this point, but maybe we can push you in the right direction. So I think that's it as far as the announcements go, unless you get something to add, uh, either Bill or Richard, and I'm going to sit by and, and uh, I'm going to sit here on the side QRT. And uh, if anybody has anything to add before we go to a break, uh, let me know. He's just going to creak his old rocking chair back and forth. But that's okay. We'd like to thank everybody that participated in the Ohio Linux Fest raffle. Uh, we'll get y'all stuff out to you as quickly as possible. And it's nice to see that everybody won except Richard. You want a free hat. Okay. 
So I got a free hat, and it's cool, and it's happening, and I'm going to, like, show it to everybody. And he couldn't be more wrong. I have it hanging on the boom for the microphone right now because I don't have to have a hat on because we're not doing video. So with that, uh, let's move on to one more thing, one more thing, and then we'll take a short break. We received a donation from Torsten, Torsten H. Torsten H. Thank you for sending in that donation. Once again, that's just like by purchasing the uh, products over at the LHS store and uh, that kind of stuff. Every penny that comes in goes back into production of this show. We'd like to encourage all of y'all, like I've said in the past, and I don't want this, I don't want to get a crappy email from somebody like we did one time about, this is my first time listening, it sounds like an infomercial. But I will say this, uh, every penny y'all send goes straight back into production of this show. You people help us keep this thing going. Out-of-pocket expenses when you're running one of these things by yourself, which seems to be the case more often than not over at the other show, a challenge, a challenge. We're able to provide fine quality. I'm sorry. I've been listening to the public broadcasting station this weekend there in the middle of pledge drives. Y'all go ahead and send in a donation. Doesn't have to be much. A couple bucks, five bucks. And in fact, if any episode has been helpful to you, send us a dollar for that episode because you can't even buy a soda. I come think of it the other day. I found out you can't even buy a bottle of water for a dollar anymore. So uh, y'all go ahead and send those in. Go on over to the website, lhspodcast.info, lhspodcast.info, and uh, click on the link. Go buy something, drop some money in the in the uh, donation bin, whatever floats your boat. Now, with that, I've run my head enough. Uh, Bill's already over there snoring. I can hear him. And uh, Russ is uh, taking a sip of his lovely, lovely medication. And with that, we'll be right back.
Okay, and how about that lovely, lovely music? Y'all send a y'all send an email to our music director. Uh, he he would he would really appreciate it. He's not a sh- short bald guy at 11, on the TV late at night. Uh, Russ is actually our music director. He picks better music than I do because he hates everything I, I pick. So, uh, Russ ran across an article today, and we wanted to talk about it a little bit, mainly because, uh, well, more than anything else, it's uh, a post by a gentleman who is well-known for podcasting in the amateur radio arena and uh, blogging and other things, and what he has to say sometimes does carry a little bit of weight. He wrote this post, and it has some really valid points to it, and it has some other points which I feel are a little bit out of touch, but that, that's okay. We thought we'd talk about it a little while, and uh, we'll give you all the URL at the end, and uh, you can go ahead and check it out. So uh, kick it off for us, and then we'll uh, we'll all jump in on it. All right, that sounds good. Well, this this post was on amateurradio.com. We'll give you the the URL at the end, and, of course, it will be in the show notes. But this was from a podcaster who does the Cornbread Road podcast. That's Jeff, Kilo Echo 9 Victor. And I just ran across this today, and I thought it was kind of an interesting post. And while it does have a couple of what I would consider valid points, and I think most amateur radio operators might consider valid points, I think the rest of it's kind of gone astray a little bit, and we're going to talk about that. So let me read a little bit of it here. We're going to kind of go piecemeal through it. You can, of course, read it whenever you get a chance to read it and um, and form your own opinions of this of this uh, post. But we're, we're going to read it here, uh, little bits of it that I think are important, and we're going to roundtable discuss it. So let me start off at the beginning here where uh, Jeff says, There was a time when developments in the realm of amateur radio were relevant in relation to the rest of the world. In those days, a young man might become interested in the technology of radio, and his first steps in that venture may have been as a radio amateur. Through building and experimentation, this neophyte might eventually make a living as a radio and TV repairman or find work as an electronics technician. He might even follow a path to become an electronics engineer, developing new methods and hardware for commercial or military communication. I don't think there's much to dispute in that introduction, but we're going to get down to something where it might be actually disputable. Uh, the point of this article is where he believes that we have diverged as a ham radio community and chosen to regress into the past as opposed to embrace the future of communication and radio technology, both as a hobby and as a uh, an elect- as an engineering pursuit. Here he says, at some point in the flow of space and time, amateur radio reached a critical crossroad. It could proceed one direction into the future, or choose the other direction, a long and circuitous route back to the past. For good or bad, we chose to jettison the future and return to the past. Now, I, I think that's the first point worth debating, whether the ham radio community has decided to abandon all future technology, future developments in radio communication, and uh, return to its uh, basal radio roots, or whether we have actually established some sort of desire to continue into the future with advancing technology or not at which point Richard and or I and or 
Bill are going to uh, discuss. So since I've read, let's go with Richard. What do you think? A lot of people, and I, even even people like myself, I, I figure Jeff and I are probably in a similar boat. We've been licensed a while. We tend to look back at the way radio was. We look ahead at the re- way radio may become. We've seen changes in the, in, in the interim. And, you know, the biggest problem is sometimes you can mistake regressing towards the past for actual movement in a forward direction. Uh, one of the things he cites is, uh, CW. And uh, a little further down, he says something about it being the lingua franca of amateur radio. And this is true if you uh, look at the actual definition of lingua franca, which is basically a common language between two people that is not their common common language uh, so that they can communicate. And it'll always be that way. There is a resurgence of CW at this time, but CW is just as valid now as it has been. And I'm probably getting a little further into this thing than I should at this point. But we're not so much regressing as uh, going back and reexamining what we have and finding new ways new ways to utilize it. This is always the case. And now that we have so many more amateur radio operators in the hobby than uh, we have had in the past, uh, it tends to look like, because these new guys are always going to go back to basics to start up, that we're moving in a backwards direction because there's more people utilizing those bands, meaning the uh, HF bands, which most people instantly identify with amateur radio's past instead of uh, looking towards the future and the different new and different ways that we're utilizing those bands. What do you think, Bill? Well, I think you're right, and I think that part of the issue here is that ham radio has always had a tradition of respecting its roots and honoring what has gone before. And a lot of us have large soft spots for the the grand traditions that amateur radio had, be it Morse code or the old tube rigs or whatever it might be. Often what I hear is fellows trying to collect the old stuff because they couldn't afford it when they were young and it was new. Now that they're older and have the disposable income, that's what they're trying to recreate is the station they wish they had when they were youths. And I certainly don't fault anyone for that. I agree he's ignoring deliberately, I think, some great strides we've made uh, in the past 15 years. And I'm sure we're going to get to that uh, in a few minutes, so I won't leap ahead. Well, let me also say, by way of uh, sort of throwing in an interjection just specifically about CW, he, he kind of dismisses CW as an ancient technique. He talks about it being like Latin, a dead language that's no longer useful, but I think that's uh, completely incorrect because there's something specifically useful in radio communication about narrow bandwidth co- you know, communication, which CW is. CW is basically a simple modulation of the uh, AM carrier, and why is that important? Well, it's important when you have a very limited functionality in your your communication options. Uh, the idea of being narrow bandwidth gives you the option of uh, transmitting a an extreme distance in many cases using very, very narrow bandwidth. What that avails you to is being able to make that transmission using much lower power than would be necessary to transmit, for example, voice 
or some sort of digital mode communication. And because of that, you're able to, in an emergency situation, for example, make a more viable communication to a station that might be further away or harder to hear or in conditions that are worse than would be available to somebody who is only able to communicate using voice, say on AM or FM or even single sideband, because the bandwidth involved in CW is even less than a single sideband communication. So to say that CW is like Latin, a dead language, and that there's no purpose for it in today's amateur radio community, I think is patently false. I think it has a purpose, and in certain circumstances, it may be the only way that you can make a communication between two endpoints. That would be my discourse on that particular subject. If anybody has anything else to add to it, they're certainly welcome to. One of the things he, and I'm sure Jeff and I come from different uh, amateur radio backgrounds in some ways. Everything in amateur radio, in my case, uh, comes down to lowest common denominator for me, which is emergency communications. And since more and more amateur radio operators now are learning the Morse code and getting up to speed on it, you know, now that they don't have to have it, they want it, that's going to be a viable mode if there is a situation where communications have completely failed. You know, CW transmitters, if you're out in the field, you can scrounge up the pieces to make a CW transmitter. I remember when I was 10 years old, I had a project kit where I made a CW transmitter. Transmitter now out of a wire, uh, copper metal strip key, uh, a relay and a nine volt battery and was able to send uh, signals broadbanded as they may have been, uh, covered all, every, everything I could hear on my AM radio, but I was able to generate a signal with that, and had I known Morse code at the time, been able to have a conversation using that. So you have to go back to the basics. Some things we're not going to abandon, and CW is gaining in popularity again. You know, just because the military has dropped it, uh, they have far better ways to relay communications than HF. So we can't really use that as a standard. I really don't think we're in danger of Morse code going away, CW, as it were. Uh, the only thing that troubles me is recently I heard a guy call it Morris code, M-O-R-R-I-S. So, uh, if anything, we're not looking back as, uh, strictly as we should. So y'all got anything else on this? Well, I just wanted to say that just because we use uh, what might be considered a regressive technology like CW doesn't mean it isn't useful. Well, holding on to a root technology because it's effective isn't a case of regression. It simply means you are being pragmatic and keeping a technology around that is useful even if it's old. And to me, that's not going back in time. That's just being practical. Well, that's right, and not to mention that, but the, the fact that we're still struggling with a less-than-spectacular sunspot cycle, and if you're looking to make the long-distance contacts, you're probably not going to manage with voice until we get higher up in that cycle. So CW is about the only way to go, or some of the digital modes, maybe. Well, I guess we can all agree that uh, the, one, the, the one where CW is concerned uh we can look at it this way. Even the new fantastic super hybrid electric cars, 
have wheels on them. Well, that's true. We haven't quite uh, perfected the flying technology yet, but I'm, I'm sure we're still working on it. Well, that's an old, it, it's old technology, but it doesn't mean we're regressing on these cars. So what else have we got? Well, let's take a, little, a look at a little bit more of this article and see where we go from here. Future developments in the non-amateur world of radio from the, that point included sec- cellular technology and the transmission of higher-speed data over the air. Commercial applications for broadcast radio and television have changed radically and now include the imposition of digital methods. Uh, none of these new technologies would have even been the least bit foreign to the radio amateur had we taken the path to the future. Youngsters would have been encouraged to become involved in our hobby as it could very well lead to a rewarding career in one of many growing and lucrative technical fields, just like in the earlier days. Well, do you think uh, that amateur radio operators or people who are involved in electronics or radio communication in general have ignored things like digital television and uh, satellite communications and all of the, the new things that have come along? I certainly don't. Somebody who's a little bit may have been a little bit out of touch for some time, and uh, I don't want Jeff if he listens to this. I know he listens, has been known to listen to the other show, and I don't want to make him angry. But one of the things is, unless you're really on top of things, you miss a lot of stuff. I miss a lot of stuff, and I have to go around trying to keep current for this show and the other show, even though I, I rarely, <laughs> rarely keep up with everything. But you know. Commercial applications like broadcast radio and TV, um, military applications and stuff. One of the places that uh, a lot of guys come from when they talk this way is the fact that they think that amateur radio operators drove technology for the 20th century, and that's not always the case. There were things like repeaters, which were actually adopted from commercial service to be used by amateur radio operators. They had them in the in the commercial war- world before they we had them you know there's also stuff like uh packet radio ax25 there for a long time i was under the mistaken impression that it had evolved into what was used commercially which is x25 and found out not too terribly long ago that it was the reverse it was already uh in the uh commercial world that x25 is uh an old packet switching protocol which was established by the uh, ITU for commercial communications. Uh, X25 worked a lot like AX25. AX25 is a variant that was developed by amateur radio operators, and AX25 is used specifically by amateur radio operators. It's not used, uh, to my knowledge, or at least in stuff that I've read in any other service. That's another thing we've adopted. As far as satellites and space flight, they come along as quickly as can happen. We don't have the resources behind us. We don't have Congress backing us. So anything that goes to space has to be built by donations from amateur radio operators, by and built by amateur radio operators, or at least colleges that are interested in getting these things up. We have to piggyback on payloads to get there and all this other stuff, and there's a lot of competition to get on those flights. So as far as that's concerned, I don't think I still don't think we're regressing. We're doing what we've always done, which is take something that already exists and make it better. 
very rarely have amateur radio operators ever been involved in some new technology unless they worked for a big corporation in their labs like Bell Labs, Lucent, Rockwell, these places, and uh, developed something that got tested in the amateur radio community before it ended up being uh, moved into general acceptance outside of the amateur radio community. Well, that's true. And um, he also conveniently ignores some things that, that we have pushed forward as a community, such as D-Star. I think the, the other things that fall into that group are the uh, PSK protocols that are very narrow-banded and yet uh, very effective for keyboard communications. Um, APRS, even even sending uh, pictures. The old days of slow-scan TV, while I'm sure there's still guys out there doing it, have been supplanted to some extent by a program called EasyPal, which uh, is far more effective at transmitting high-quality images across web bands. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on out there that's uh, new just in the past 10 years or so that, that he conveniently ignores in his argument. He does talk about the fact that the um, the codec involved with D-Star being proprietary and and so on is being problematic. You know, he does seem to indicate that there are things that we are doing as an amateur radio community to advance our, our knowledge and our understanding, but his overall... Uh, argument seems to be that rather than try and embrace some of what he calls the harder technologies, we seem to be regressing into a community that is just doing things that are easy, that are older, that are understandable, and we don't seem to be leading the charge into the future. I'm not sure. Well, isn't this the same old argument of kit builders versus appliance buyers? Well, it probably is, and and I was just going to make the argument that I'm not sure it was the idea that amateur radio operators necessarily needed to lead the charge into the future. I mean, why do we have to be the ones who do all the innovation? Why can't we be the people who foster the who who initially foster the innovation and who let other people try and develop technologies that push us into the future, and we avail ourselves of that. We don't have to be the ones who are running out in front at at every point in the game necessarily. I don't think I don't think that's necessary. I think we've done plenty, you know, as a community since the very beginning of of radio communication to foster the future. And we don't necessarily have to be the person who drags everybody into the future from that point forward. I mean, we can let other people have some of the glory. Well, the whole point is that, um, you know, Bill, you're kind of right. Uh, one of the points he's really making in this whole article is the fact that, uh, uh, he feels that, uh, amateur radio operators are falling back on the nostalgic aspect of amateur radio. I like to sit around every once in a while and think about that, uh, shortwave receiver I had when I was a kid that I'd sit and I'd listen to it at night. Tubes would glow orange on the wall and everything else. But there are th- he's not seeing the bigger picture. Like I was saying earlier, you know, since the late 1990 and the advent of the codeless technician license, I know I'm going to get a letter about, oh, you're, you're co- no coder bashing and everything else. No, I'm not. I'm fixing to tell you all the way I see it. 
Uh, since the 1990s, we've had a huge influx of amateur radio operators. There was one-third as many or less amateur radio operators in the United States than there are uh, people living in the county of Dallas, County or in the city of Dallas, Texas, uh, when I got licensed. And now the ranks have swollen. We're not in jeopardy. We were in jeopardy for a long time of losing our stuff to commercial interests. We're still in jeopardy, but not near as bad. And he's concerned about that, but he doesn't take into account that with that huge influx, the people that are out there are actually doing the things, building kits, working on antennas, working with the new stuff like high-speed multimedia, which is on bands that most amateurs can't go get the uh, equipment for off the shelf. Well, not at high-speed multimedia. That's a different deal. But you got the microwave guys out there building their own uh, trans transmitters and receivers. And uh, you got satellite people out there working with new stuff. And in the case of high-speed multimedia, we got lucky with that because... A lot of the routers that you get off the shelf, off the shelf technology, once again, taking stuff that exists and making it better, which is what ham radio operators are good at. You take these off the shelf routers, run them in our bands under part 97 instead of part 15, and there's a lot of progress in that direction. Y'all were talking about D Star a while ago. Yes, the AMBE chip and uh, associated codec is proprietary, but there's been, uh, Quite a bit of activity and growth in the area of working on uh, D-Star kit stuff that you can build yourself. You know, I would think being a podcaster, he would uh, listen to some of the other shows. And I'll tell you right now, one of the podcasts in the amateur radio end that gets uh, a huge amount of listenership is one about doing homebrew projects. And if y'all haven't listened to it, those of y'all listening to us out there, Go dig it up and give it a listen. It's called Solder Smoke, the oldest non-news amateur radio podcast that's still running. I'm not going to talk about the second oldest right now. So, <laughs> what do y'all think about that? You're very modest, Richard. You don't want to talk about your own show? I ain't going to pimp it right now. Well, like I already talked about G-Star and the other things that are, you know, and I, and I think uh, he's kind of missing the point on that. But um, unless uh, Bill has something he wants to add to that, I want to move on to the next thing, which is contesting. So go ahead, Bill, if you want to say something. Well, my only final comment here about that, the, the, actually the article as a whole, is that I'm wondering if he isn't saying some of these things just to push our hot buttons and see if he can't get a discourse going, because uh, I find it a little difficult to believe that he would dismiss some of this stuff as easily as he seems to be doing. Well, that may be the case. I, I actually kind of get the impression that he seems to be a rather disgruntled amateur radio operator. And if you look at his blog, uh, some of the things he says in there seem seem to corroborate that evidence. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little bit of uh, evidence in my favor here. Uh, the second sentence in his blog at ke9v.net says, I'm an electrical engineer nearly 30 winters at the coalface, a product of the 20th century who has found little to like about the 21st. I, I take from that that the things he says in his article over at AmateurRadio.com, he actually believes. I don't necessarily think this is strictly a a troll. It's not, it's not a hot-button issue that he's pushing specifically 
to uh, get a discourse going. I actually believe he believes the things he's saying here. Well, he paints an awfully bleak picture, and, and uh, I'm not sure a terribly accurate one. Um, you, you've got to wonder if he's reading QST and some of the other uh, trade magazines for amateur radio and, and example of some of the things I've seen recently that impress me greatly are the, uh, the, the contests that QST ran, ARL ran recently about inexpensive transceivers and then uh, inexpensive homebrew amplifiers for those transceivers, which are incredible. It shows that there is some real talent out there and people willing to share their talents with the rest of us. Uh, I think a lot of what those designs have done will push technology forward. And that that's the whole thing. Uh, amateur radio over the last at least 20 years... I can't really speak to it before that. But over the last 20 years, we've gone from something that is mostly uh, getting a radio and getting on the air and doing everything on phone or CW and occasionally on packet. We used to have a really good mode we called Amtor, which was uh, part of the basis for the current Pactor stuff and everything. But things have changed over the years. We all are resistant to change. But the problem is that these new guys are coming in. They they know new stuff. And it's the whole thing I'm, I was talking about a while ago. There's still people out there at pushing forward amateur radio. We're getting new modes and stuff like that, uh, SDR uh, radios, all this stuff. It's hard to see it sometimes when you're surrounded by a bunch of folks that are just on there because they thought it'd be neat to get amateur radio license. I know a lot of people like that. Also know some that still get in there and try and keep up with the technology and do what they can. In fact, uh, one of the biggest innovators or one of the biggest, one of the biggest groups promoting, uh, D-Star in, uh, the country is based here in DFW. One of those guys in 500M, I think it is. He's, he's up on the cutting edge with the D-Star, the APRS, which is not such so cutting edge. It's 10 or more years old. Uh, all this stuff, they're just not seeing, and it's easy for guys that have been around to spend so much time longing for the past that they actually lose sight of what's going on. I was talking to Jim Haney at a ham fest right after he uh, stepped down from being president of the ARRL. One of the things he said to me was he had looked at the entry-level ham radio test at that time, and because of the stuff on it is so different than what it was when he came in or I came in or, or that kind of stuff, that he really didn't think he'd have been able to pass it. And that's because there is stuff out there that's being used that some of us have never seen. Anyway, I have digressed. So what's next for us? Well, what's next is actually something we've kind of been talking about, which is contesting, and we brought it up at least briefly. And his um, KE9V seems to dismiss contesting as pure entertainment and uh, it not having any other particular value to the amateur radio community. And I wondered what you two think about that statement or whether you think that's true or not. Well, quite frankly, uh, that's another thing that you might miss. Once again, my mind is geared towards emergency communications. My main reason for being an amateur radio operator is to handle emergency communications when I'm needed. 
So when I look at something, I look at it from that perspective. I was reading, uh, I can't remember if it's the uh, Public Service Communications Manual or the uh, Emergency Communications Handbook. I've got several of things like that around here. But they pointed out something that up until that time I had missed. Even the contesters, whether they realize it or not, are training to be net controls for an emergency communication net. Now, where contesting is concerned, yes, a lot of people want to jump on board. It's just like the people that are fanatical about um, geocaching or Frisbee golf or anything else. They like the challenge of that. There's a challenge to them. They like getting in there and fighting these other guys, trying to get these stations and everything else. But the bottom line is they're training in something they may not even realize they're training in. And when the time comes, those net controls will be available. Because if you sit down and dissect uh, contesting, if you've ever done it, if anybody out there listening's ever done it, if you sit down and you dissect it, and then think about it a little bit, you'll see that it has most of the characteristics of handling a high-volume emergency communications net, and you're the net control. So what do you think, Bill? That's absolutely right. And if you look at some of the stations these serious contesters have put together, they're extremely sophisticated, and these are the guys that are pushing the art of... Uh, networking computers together with their radios, doing automated uh, control of the rotators, the uh, logging of contacts, and um, their antenna systems are state-of-the-art. These guys uh, never rust, and, and their stations are under constant states of improvement. And I'm sure they're watching all of the uh, trade papers and whatnot to see what the next greatest thing will be that might give them a few extra points in the next contest. And certainly it's all a matter of, of wallpaper to them at some level, but you're exactly right. What it really is is an emergency simulation. Exactly. And one of the things I don't say near enough anymore that I used to say all the time, in fact, every conversation I had with an amateur radio operator, especially if they were a new amateur radio operator, is that everything we do in the amateur radio hobby is training for something else. I hate contest weekends. I hate them. If I try and get on the radio on the weekend, I hate it because the contesters are just eating up the mans and everything. But I'm not going to jump in there and cause problems. I'm not going to try and start my own little proof crusade to stop these contesters and everything else because i understand that even if they don't realize it they're developing skills that can be of any be of advantage in cases like katrina oklahoma city bombing stuff like that because i live in an area that shoot we got two major airports we have uh north south east and west major rail lines running through here we have four or five interstate highways that converge here, and the possibility of, plus I live in Tornado Alley, and uh, about four or 500 miles from the ocean. So the possibility of us having a, a need for that type of communications is something that is a real thing to me. So let the contesters go. They're not hurting anything, and they're actually learning something while they do it. And the other thing is I would like to add is that I don't believe that just because 
we have amateur radio operators who are skilled in the hobby who are standing outside their little huts near Buckingham Palace in their red uniforms and bearskin caps keeping guard over the rest of us who actually want to be ready and prepared when emergency communication is necessary is detracting from the hobby or preventing the advancement of communication engineering or innovation in the radio communication space just because we're standing guard and uh, maintaining old channels of communication that are reliable in the case of emergency that happen to be based on older technologies that happen to work doesn't mean we're preventing people or preventing anyone really from advancing uh, technology in any way. And the whole point is we can't throw this out before we have something better. And once you get up past about 1.2 gig, Currently, the technology is not in place. There haven't been enough, been, hasn't been enough moving forward to be able to consider that a good and usable wavelength, frequencies, whatever. I mean, until I am able to communicate from a base station at my house on a simplex frequency, 30 to 35 miles, on those frequencies, and I'm talking about 1.2, 2.4, you know, the stuff that's up higher than what we're using right now. Until I can do that reliably, I'm not going to throw out my two-meter rig because I know that I can contact the uh, EOC in a city on the other side of the county from this house because I've done it during a simulated emergency test on a simplex frequency with no repeaters in the mix. And I'm not using much more than a piece of coax, coax strung out the window up to a, a vertical antenna on the roof. So, yes, keeping the old technology around, we need to do that until we can make the other stuff work. And as far as pushing the boundaries of the rest of it, there's people out there doing it. I believe that, too. And the other thing is that when you're talking about higher frequency communications, the simplicity of physics comes into effect. and when you're no longer dealing with skywave propagation, something that sort of falls off when you get into very high and microwave-level communications, you're, you're necessarily limited in the distance you can get by the power output that you supply uh, for those higher-frequency communications. I mean, HF is specific, well, not specifically geared, but is classically geared towards long-range communication because of F-layer ionospheric skip. and just because of those lower frequencies, you get the added ability to make long-distance communications, which is not generally possible with things in the microwave frequencies. It's just a matter of simple physics, and it's not a case of we just haven't figured out how to do it yet. Uh, we simply are limited by uh, the way communications propagate through the atmosphere. And there you have it. All right, so uh, you know what, guys? We've gone a little long on this segment. I think we probably need to take a short break and then come back and, uh, and continue on. It's going to be another one of them two-hour shows. Well, we'll come back on the other side, and we'll wrap up this article, and we'll probably call it a night. There you have it. We'll be right back. You've taught me well. 
Man, we are having a spirited discussion about this article that Jeff put over on and Jeff, we love you, man. You you've been uh you've been an inspiration to us as podcasters for a long time and, and I, I if you're listening, I really don't want you to get angry at us. We just uh batting around some of these theories, you know, a spirited conversation, that's what it's all about. So what else you got, Russ? Well, uh let me let me go ahead and let Bill uh 
interject something that he brought up during the break, which I think is very important to uh, this discussion, which is I was talking about something a little bit out of school, and he's going to tell us what the real story is. Well, his comments uh, in, in the text of the article, he neatly sidesteps D-Star and some of the other digital mode communications uh, to make his point, and some of the commenters that have already posted on this uh, article online brought up the, the D-Star and APRS and uh, PSK, Olivia, all those topics in, in rebuttal. Um, I find the comments very informative and well-thought uh, rebuttals to many of the points he's making. Yeah, and in fact, yes, uh, y'all go over and check this out and make sure you check the comments out because, yes, there are definitely some people that actually know what they're talking about commenting on this particular uh, article. In fact, what really caught my eye was uh, Sean VA5LF uh, today posted one, and the, the actual portion of it that caught my attention is the paragraph that says, if HF isn't your thing, take a look at D-Star. While some, some may decry that the ex, expensive transmitters and proprietary AMB codec are whatever, or whatever else, a vibrant homebrewing community is springing up around this technology. And that is the case. We always take stuff and make it better. And, uh, that's a lot of times, uh, people who haven't spent a lot of time, uh, paying attention don't understand that very few new things have come out of amateur radio. But we sure have taken our fair share of stuff off the shelf and made it work to suit our needs. That's the whole point. So, uh, okay, where would we leave off, Russ? I don't know if you want to leave that as that the point, because Jeff might take you at your word on that and say that because we're not innovators, we're just kind of lagging behind and going back into the past. Well, you know what? We never have been. The only inventor I know of in amateur radio was Marconi. And he was building on other people's work. He took stuff off the shelf and made it work. In fact, and his incentive was commercial. Right. And everybody that we consider a great inventor has taken something that may have already existed or at least the bits and pieces have existed and they put it together in a new way. You know, there's very little that's new that even that even Edison came up with. There was always the, at the very least, the theory that it could happen. Now, after an hour and 20 minutes of recording this podcast, are you going to try and uh, justify Jeff Davis's article here? What's the problem? Well, no, I'm not justifying. I'm just saying there's very little new in, in, in the situation. But the whole point is that we do move forward, but it's a matter of building what came before. Amateur radio is open source project, man. You take what's already there, you add to it. You know what? I've got a, I've got a two meter transmitter transceiver sitting here on the desk. But if I want to turn it into a digital radio, all I have to do is walk over and get, well, it's already a digital radio because it's got a D star board in it. But if I want to do digital with that radio, all I have to do is walk over to the other side of the room, take another piece of equipment that was built by a different company that I've had for some time, bring it over here, plug it into the radio, and boom, I'm running packet or Amtor ready or because it'll do all those modes. Very little is new anywhere. Everything builds on something else. And as far as the nostalgic aspects, we have to have that nostalgic stuff. We've moved away from tubes, even though tubes are better suited for our world today because uh, semiconductors are smaller. 
tubes are better suited because the chances are higher than elect, uh, an electromagnetic pulse can leave us in a situation where none of our stuff works. A magnetic storm could throw everything into chaos. Now, let's see how much of that ends up in the all-night feed. (laughs) (laughs) That'll probably make it in the podcast, I think, because uh, EM storms and EMFs uh, cause disruptions all the time, and you don't necessarily hear about them on the 6 o'clock news, but they're definitely out there. Folks in New York and Canada, I bet they remember. Well, we all remember the big grid outages, and, you know, a lot of people like to throw around terrorism and all kinds of stuff, but solar flares and solar activity and ion storms from the sun and atmospheric disturbances happen all the time, and they may not talk about them, but communications get disrupted from satellites and uh, orbital communication and ground-based communication all the time. And that's another reason we're still important, because he was... Mention in handheld, wait a minute, mobile devices connected to the Internet. Let me tell you about that old technology that we use compared to that new technology of mobile devices connected to the Internet. First thing that goes down in an emergency is the cell phones. And the reason they go down is because the, uh, and I know a couple guys that work for cell phone companies, most cell phone sites are designed to handle a 20% continuous load. So they're not even designed to con- to handle a 100% load. And when you have everybody walking outside trying to uh, dial up their loved ones and tell them what's going on and everything else, it overloads the system, everything gets uh, goes down, and nobody gets out. And the only example I have to throw for that is a few years back, they were digging, uh, digging in the streets up in Plano, Texas, and accidentally caught, uh, cut the telephone trunk. Everybody immediately started to walk outside with their cell phone to try and call, uh, whoever it was they were needing to call, part people they were on the phone with when it went down, their loved ones, whatever. And it locked down the system up there to the point that they couldn't even answer fire and police calls for several hours. So let's not discount this old technology. Well, the three of us here haven't been discounting old technology at all, I don't think. Yeah, but somebody out there will tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Well, everybody does have an opinion. That's right. Send all your Richard is wrong emails to ka9wka at (laughs) gmail.com. All right. Well, let's try and get some sort of conclusion here. I'm going to read the last little bit of his article, and we'll uh, toss it around. Sound good? Yeah, it's going to be a long one, y'all. Y'all, get ready. All right, here's what Jeff has to say by way of summation. Though ham radio is a delightful and enjoyable hobby, we are forced to own up to the consequences of the decision that was made not so long ago. Ham radio has become like an old trading post on a lonely stretch of Route 66 somewhere in the desert. You stop to admire the wooden Indian, the old-time gas pumps, and the soda machines, You snap a few pictures, buy a few trinkets for your niece and nephew, and spend a moment warmly remembering what the Old West was like long ago. And then you get into your car and return to the real world. None of this will diminish the enjoyment that enthusiasts can derive from this unique hobby. There are people in the world who enjoy building old steam engines, restoring antique cars, and making butter by hand. Technology doesn't always improve the quality of life, and it has many unintended consequences. 
but reality demands that we acknowledge our proper place in the grand scheme of things. And when it comes to amateur radio, we are no longer of the same ilk as those who innovate and invent. It's been decades since we last put a dent in the universe, and it's probably best that we live out our days quietly playing with our radios. Okay, guys, discuss. Well, once again, I don't know what direction he's coming from in this article. Um, I would hate to think that it's the one that's most apparent. There was a guy on Twitter for a while that would go around screaming and hollering about ham radio is dead. That It's dead. It's a dead thing. The fact of the matter is that one of the reasons that this old stuff is so prominent at this time is that is how we get our proper respect from the United States government. And the whole point there is, is that there's lots of money being put out. Once again, I've got that doggone emergency communication hat on. But the whole point is there were grants, there were new laws passed, there's been so much stuff done since the work with Katrina, uh, the work with Rita, the work with the other emergency communications related situations, the fires in California, stuff. The earthquake in Haiti. The earthquake in Haiti, you're right. And all this stuff and it's the reason that that seems to be the most prominent thing at this time is because that's how we get the attention of the people that uh, we need to like us the most because they're the ones that can take our privileges away at, in a heartbeat. That doesn't mean that the new other front uh, cutting-edge stuff is not going on. It's just not the stuff that we're going to see in uh, casually looking at the hobby at this time. I know hundreds of amateur radio operators on a first-name basis. Of those, hundred, of those hundreds, there's probably a handful who actually pursue something that is new. Digital, digital slow-scan TV, microwave operation, satellite communication, D-Star and high-speed multimedia we were talking about. Everybody knows that I don't see a point in D-Star or not D-Star, APRS, don't see a point in APRS, but that's mainly because it has fallen below the expectations that everybody had for it when it first came along. It is still a usable tool. The whole point is it's easy to miss what's going on to make our hobby move forward because we have to rely on the older technology because they are proven technologies, and those are the ones that the people who are actually our bosses are going to want to see in operation when they're needed without fail. What do you think, Bill? I agree, and I think that to some extent you're also right that amateur radio has not necessarily been the source of all innovation in radio for much of its life. Um, I don't know that it needs to be. As you've said often, it's best at taking existing technology and adapting it to its own needs. And it does that very well, usually um, less expensively than, than before. Um, realize, too, that amateur radio operators are a small fraction of the population and therefore, by definition, a small market for commercially produced items. So it's difficult to get the state-of-the-art stuff to us from a manufacturer, they don't see a huge profit in it. It uh, 
and yet there's a constant stream of radios available in the stores. So there, there must be somebody buying things, and there have certainly been improvements, whether it comes from uh, the independent amateur in his garage or a concerted engineering team at a radio manufacturer, and perhaps they apply those technologies to the commercial world. But if we benefit as well, I see it as a win-win. Um, certainly the radio I've got on my bench now far exceeds the capabilities uh, and features of the one I started out with when I first got licensed. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, at the risk of making a simplistic argument, I <clears throat> I think that the amateur radio community is really keeping up with things in a way that other technologies really aren't because you can say that, I mean, just take a look at, at a very specific example of Echolink and IRLP which are amateur radio technologies keeping up with current developments by using the Internet and voice over IP in a way that augments the hobby of amateur radio. But when was the last time you saw uh, the Internet trying to, to uh, propagate itself using EME? Yeah, never. Well, that that's true, and uh, we can get into big, long discussion about the Internet and satellites because that was an issue at one time, which... Uh, has dropped by the wayside several years ago. In fact, it was a, a rather large discussion because they wanted the two meter and 440 bands. But I, I understand where you're coming from on this, Russ, and that's the truth. They don't try to use some of the things that we're using because they don't think it's a vi it's viable. Using EMA for uh, the internet, we know it's possible. It would take some serious, serious horsepower to do it, but it is possible. And, you know, you look back at the technology when I got licensed. Uh, Bill, you were talking about your first rig. My first mobile rig had 10 channels. Two of those you could set up as AB, uh, AB channels for odd splits. You had a, a little knob on the front to switch between positive, negative, and no offset. They had great big giant LEDs, and it put out a whopping 10 watts on high power. <laughs> One I had right after that, because I had to have a radio that had a tone board in it, you had to pop the top off of it and reach in with a screwdriver and turn a pot on that tone board to get it where you wanted it and then put the cover back on. So Yeah, I remember those. And, I mean, I, understandably, the equipment that we have available to us at this time well, I'll tell you right now, I moved from Kenwood mobile rigs to uh, ICOM mobile rigs because of the D-Star thing, and these ICOM radios feel like toys. I'm afraid I'm going to break them. Now, I have a Yaesu HF rig, which is more substantial, but it's still not as substantial as some of the older radios that I had. As far as that's concerned, apparently there's enough to keep the manufacturers working with us, but... It's not enough to uh, really get their attention. They're gonna they're gonna focus on the public, on the uh, commercial stuff. Well, from the perspective of pure innovation, it may be the fact that while EME and meteor scatter are not particularly practical, it may be fairly difficult for the um, average hobbyist to communicate using those methods. They're what I would consider experimental. They're difficult modes. They work, but they're, they are a method of communication, and while it may be extraordinarily difficult to do something along the lines of 
internet communication using those particular modes, it comes down to an issue of practicality. And while the internet might stick to more practical communication methods, avoiding things like EME and meteor scatter, because traditional landline methods using copper and or uh, light communications like fiber tend to work better, that's not particularly innovative. I mean, they're using something that works. They know it works. It's a technology that does what it's supposed to do, but it is not uh, groundbreaking in any sense. Bouncing a signal off the moon or off the passing comet, that to me is innovative. And uh, it's amateur radio that is providing that method of innovative communication, not something that has advanced uh, the Internet. You know, there's a lot of discussion about things like BPL, which uh, have proponents and detractors on both sides, but that hasn't come to fruition either. That's a, a technology that's been batted around for years and years and years, as far as I can tell. And uh, do we have Internet via BPL? No, we sure don't. Uh, just because something may sound good and may be an advancement in technology doesn't mean it's particularly practical. Uh, and from a hobbyist perspective, we tend to advance our hobby. We do things that may not be necessarily practical, but are um, outside the envelope, so to speak, you know, pushing the boundaries of communication possibilities. Uh, things like the Internet and uh, satellite communication and maybe military communication don't necessarily do that. They do what works. They do what's practical. They do what gets uh, a communique from point A to point B, but it's not necessarily innovative. Yeah, and, and there you have it. Yes, the, the military, they do have some uh, uh, really outstanding communication main, ways to communicate, but, you know, there's guys still out there carrying backpack radios that they can do CW on, even though it's not an officially sanctioned uh, mode in the military anymore because most of them have technically dropped it. It's still possible for them to do so if the situation should uh, come to it. And one of the things I want to address before we uh, finish up, because I know we're getting close to it, is the fact that I'm fixing to use one of those phrases that everybody hates. In amateur radio, we have what a lot of people call appliance operators. And if you've been in amateur radio for any length of time, you know that. You know what they are. But the whole point is that you have them everywhere. In uh, the Linux community, there are appliance operators, any kind of computer stuff. There are people that want to go buy, go out, buy something, use it, and not don't care how it works. We have some of those people in the hobby, but just because we have some of those people in the hobby doesn't mean we need to discount the people who dig in. I do not program. I quit programming years ago, and amateur radio is far more computer-centric now than it was then, And uh, but I can build antennas. I can fix a lot of the things that might go go wrong with my equipment and that kind of stuff. However, there are some people that just thought it'd be neat to get amateur radio license, and they're out there. They went and bought their radio at a store, bought an antenna to go with it, put it all together, and spend all weekend working special event stations or whatever. There's that kind of group in anything you do. doesn't matter if it's skiing, flying, playing chess. It doesn't matter. There's people like that in every group. They just want to 
do or use and not have to worry about the nuts and bolts of it. I say once again, that's no reason for us to discount the people who are out there building SDR radios, trying to figure out how to back engineer some of these programs so they can make something that's usable that's that we can use. You know, that's what this should, one of the things this show's about. You know, Linux in the ham shack. Why Linux? Why not uh, WOS or Windows, for those of y'all who don't know? Uh, why not Apple in the ham shack? Simply because one of the things we're looking for in our listeners, most especially, are those folks that are interested in the nuts and bolts of things. Not just the computer, not just the operating system, not just the piece of amateur radio equipment, but people that are interested in the nuts and bolts of how these things work because you are the people that will be moving Linux forward. You will be moving amateur radio forward. You will be moving other things forward in your everyday life. And amen, brother. No, um, that, you know, that's the whole point of the thing. I don't think we've lost our future. I think our future is there. Unfortunately, over time, people become jaded, and they don't see that the future is still there. Amateur radio may move ahead faster. It may move ahead slower, but it's still moving. It's not dead yet. Now, I put everybody to sleep, except for a while ago during the pop quiz. Somebody else say something so I can take a breath. All right, Bill, take us out. Well, my final thought on this is that while innovation in amateur radio may not come from an individual amateur in his garage or basement or whatever. It might come from a company that made its money from that amateur buying a piece of gear and upgrading regularly over his career as an amateur. So while a new licensee may not be able to come up, or might, but might not be able to come up with the latest, greatest antenna or something, by buying his equipment, He's providing money for someone else who might. So vote with your dollars, folks. Get out there and buy a radio. There we go. I can breathe now. <laughs> so do you have anything else on this before we wrap it up, Russ? Well, I'll tell you what. I think this horse was beaten to death about, oh, yesterday. Well, let me let me finish by saying, Jeff, you know, Jeff, I was a listener of LDE. Uh, Russ is a listener of Cornbread Row. Uh, it just wasn't a good fit for me. But uh, we respect you, and, you know, this wouldn't have even caught our attention if we didn't. Uh, if you're listening, I hope I didn't say anything to aggravate you too badly. Russ really doesn't care. But hey now. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really are aggravated about it, please send uh, Bill an email telling him that, how, that you're angry. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's he's within driving distance too. He can come get me. That's right. Come, come whoop your butt. That's you right. Like, you just send like Bill a, a death sentence. <laughs> be like a, be like a badger in the hen house. You know. <laughs> anyway, y'all y'all take heart. You're doing the right thing, and uh, we would be interested in what y'all think about what's going on with this. So. If Russ doesn't have anything else, do you have anything else, Bill? No, I look forward to uh, maybe getting some feedback from the listeners on what they think about this article. I certainly uh, thought it was interesting and well-written, as as much of what Jeff does is. And uh, I hope he's really not this jaded on the hobby. Um, I have a suspicion that at least part of him 
did this just to get a conversation going, and I think he succeeded very well. Thanks, Jeff. Well, well there you go. Um, uh, anything else on your end, Russ? I would just like to thank Jeff for his interesting and thought-provoking article. I don't remember exactly how I came across it, but I did, and I'm glad I did. I think we had a, an interesting and thought-provoking conversation for the last oh, two hours, give or take, uh, between the three of us. And uh, whether or not Jeff is really as jaded as he is about the hobby or if he was just trolling a little bit trying to get some discussion started, I do believe it was a fairly thought-provoking article. Uh, one way or the other, and uh, it got us talking and uh, and gave us an entire Linux in the Ham Shack episode. So uh, if nothing else, I hope Jeff uh, decides to listen to it, and I hope everybody else who listens to it gives us a little bit of feedback. I'd be interested to hear how people see the hobby, perceive uh, the advancements of amateur radio in comparison to the advancements of other technologies that exist today something I'm looking forward to. So uh, please send us your comments, uh, info at lhspodcast.info. We'd like to hear from you. I think that's about it for me. We should probably wrap it up because I think we've been going way, way too long. All right. And, yes, Jeff, thank you. And as Russ stated, the most important part of this whole article is the fact that it keeps us from, from having to work so hard. So uh, with that, this is KB5JBV. What's his name? Who's it? Thing? This is KB5JBV from under his rock somewhere in Chinatown. And you can contact me via email at KB5JBV at gmail.com. KB5JBV at gmail.com. Or we're back on the social networks. So go on over there and look for KB5JBV and, and say hello at the very least. So with that, I'm going to toss it over to Russ and then he can toss it to Bill and then everybody can have a wonderful time and we can head on down the road. Go ahead, Russ. All right. Well, this is Russ, K5TUX. You can find me out there as J.R. Woodman on most of the very popular social networks on the Internet and maybe a few of the unpopular ones. I happen to be K5TUX over at 73s.org. That's N7ICE's rather nice ham radio uh, blogosphere and uh, social networking site, so check it out if you haven't already. You can contact us by emailing us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can leave us a comment on the website, lhspodcast.info. Just click on an article, send us a comment, we'll get it, and we'll talk about you in a future episode. You can even leave us voicemail, 888-455-0305, or direct not toll-free at 417-200-4811, and we would definitely like to hear all of the voice feedback that you'd like to leave us i think that's about it for me and uh so we'll let bill give you whatever information he wants to give you and then we'll wrap this sucker up very good my name is bill kilo alpha nine whiskey kilo alpha and i have an email address kilo alpha nine whiskey kilo alpha at lhs podcast on info at least for the moment until richard decides to pull the plug on that so thanks for listening everyone i certainly enjoyed it i hope you did too yeah, y'all send all your hate mail to Bill. Bill's the one that did it all. In fact, he was sitting here in the room with me, making me say most of the stuff I done said. So with that, we'll see y'all next time. Y'all have a great two weeks. Bye, Jake.